How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? You know, pretty good. Not much to complain about. It's actually been really nice out today. Uh, two nights ago, we had a pretty crazy storm, but other than that, not too much. I was going to ask you about that because I saw that on one of my friends' Facebooks that Calgary got hit with a really bad storm. Was it? No, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it a hail storm or was it just a... a it was hail, thunder, lightning, the whole shebang. Luckily, it missed downtown. But, like, the north and east really got it. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's... I guess that's the downfall of living in a tropical metropolis, eh, Tim? Exactly. So, Tim, I'm very, very excited to get together today because today's episode, we are going to be looking at the 2020 NHL playoff play-in round. Now, for what we're going to do for this episode today is that we're going to look at the eight series for the play-in rounds, and we're going to give our predictions. Yeah, and some of these are going to be a bit lopsided, though, because like there's teams that were sellers at the deadline, and rightfully so, that are now in the play well, the play-in picture at the very least. I know. You know who I honestly feel kind of bad for in all this? Is Buffalo. How do you think the Sabres feel right now? You know, like, they haven't made the playoffs in nine years. They expand the playoffs to 24 teams, their team number 25. Yeah, that's that's got to really sting. I know. But then again, at the same time, you got to win to get in, right? That is true. That is true. And actually, one of the good things that came out of the Sabres missing the playoffs again by being team number 25 is that there's a young lady on YouTube named Melanie Martin, and she did a song uh, She did a song in the song of Taylor Swift's Never Gonna Get Back Together, but it's never gonna make the playoffs. <laughs> it's actually really, really good. And I don't like Taylor Swift as a musician. I don't really like her music overall. But I have to say, some of her songs that she's done on her YouTube channel is actually really good. Hey, you'll like it. Yeah, and actually, I wanted to comment because there was one video where she did about it. She did in the song of "Missing You" by the Rolling Stones, and it was about how much she misses sports. And I was like, I'm jamming <laughs> to the song, listening to it, like, oh, this is pretty solid. This is pretty solid. Then they showed a clip of Jason Palmerville dancing around Alfredson to knock us off in 2006. I'm like. I'm okay. It's, it's just fine. It's fine. You know, Al Alfredson redeemed himself the next year. It's fine. Yeah. Well, I guess the interesting thing is, like, we do have, like, NHL training camps are going to be opening in the next month here. So, uh, cool stuff is happening. It is. And the nice thing about hockey training camps opening up is that, you know, at least we're not as big of a shit show as what baseball is going through right now. I haven't been following that as closely as I should be, at least from what I can see. Uh, it's money at this point, right? Yes, very much so at the moment. And, you know, if you're a baseball fan, that really sucks that you potentially are losing a whole entire season just because the owners want all of the money and they're not going to let the players play. But... I, I, I don't even know if that's how it happens. Is, it's going to be terrible for them. Like, how much are the owners losing? I guess the difference is, are they losing a bit of money or a shitload of money, right? Exactly. Because, oh. yeah, seasons. Like, if they have to play without... And this is probably what's going to happen with the hub cities. If they have to play without fans. And MLB would probably have to do a whole season without fans. Yeah, but in fairness, there's certain teams down in baseball. Like, if you watch their clips, it literally looks like there's, like... 12 people there like there's yeah. nobody in the upper decks there's no next to nobody really in the stands it's like sure wow, but that's like the yankees the Sox, and like the major teams they're selling out every game right so you're losing uh sorry 60 home games worth of fans worth of money that's a lot of money even if you're getting enhanced uh, tv revenue right yeah enhanced tv revenue and whatever you make off of uh, merchandise sales yeah so it's like I can get why such a dispute exists. Yeah. Although I will say one thing, and I love, I don't know if you've seen some of the photos over in Japan with the Japanese baseball league is because they're playing games right now is that instead of having fans in the stands, they're having like 
stuffed animals. Stuffed animals. Stuff. Like, you'd see, like, Spongebob next to Pikachu, next to, like, Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. It's it's kind of funny, all things considered. Like, I saw that, and, like, it's kind of funny, you know, I'm not going to lie. You know, silly kind of way. Honestly, I'm a little surprised that they're not allowing, like, socially distant games, but even then it's still going to be a lot of lost re- a lot of lost revenue. Yeah, well, you know what's funny? And I was saying to somebody on Twitter about... Because they've been talking about bringing back drive, drive-in drive movie theaters. I says, well, when sports comes back, instead of having the fans go to the arena, why don't they open up some of the socially distant drive-in theaters and show games on that? Yeah, that could work. But again, like I wouldn't be surprised like even if they just allow it. Like uh, Those concourses are designed to hold like 19, 20,000 people, let in 5,000 people. You're at a quarter capacity. At that point, you should be able to maintain six feet between people and then mandate masks and masks and temperature checks. And then you could do sports safely. True. So but, Tim, uh, I was going to get ahead of ourselves here. Exactly. So I was going to say, Tim, now before we go into our episode today, and we've got some stuff we're going to need to talk about. Now, firstly, because we haven't really had an episode in the last couple of weeks. So Tim, I got to ask the all important question. What have you been up to the past couple of weeks? Frankly, not too much. Still been running a online card tournament, but uh, as things start to open up here in Calgary, uh, we're probably going to hopefully in the next month, probably a month and a half here, wrap that up with an in-person Top Cut tournament to cap it all off. Because we can have gatherings of up to 50 people indoors now. Solid. Yeah, so other than that, it's just been playing video games mostly, or uh, working. Yeah, so I've been decently busy with work. That's not too bad. Yeah, it's kind of like what I've been doing the last couple of weeks, minus the whole working thing, you know, we're still laid off but i haven't got a chance to play some video games and one game that i've been getting a chance to play with with a couple of my buddies and i've mentioned this on the podcast is call of duty warzone the battle royale game it's actually yeah. it's pretty fun and you know me i'm like i'm not a huge cod guy i i played fortnite a bit when it was like popular but never really got super super into it and honestly with warzone like i, I only play it with my friends and i think it's pretty fun and it's one of these games where like i'm Kind of, sort of, surprisingly good at it. Oh, Which is really, really weird, because I'm usually not very good at games. I enjoy playing them, but I'm not that good at it. Honestly, I haven't played a COD game since Black Ops. So that's, that's like 10 years back now, right? Yeah, yeah, Black yeah Ops I was going to say that. <laughs> oh my god. God. You know, Tim, every... I was gonna say every time that we mention something about like yeah that was ten years ago twenty ten we're like oh god yeah we were in high, we were in high there, school yeah like it shocks me that there's kids who could vote that were born after nine eleven just like oh <laughs> oh god Tim see Tim if you and Chelsea bought a house this is why you would be on your front line going get off my lawn you damn kids I'm not that old I don't know I could see you being that kind of old dude no disrespect fair enough. Although, here's the big question, though, Tim. Now, do you see yourself as an old man with the suspenders and sweatpants? You know what? Probably the suspenders. I can see you with suspenders. It would work. Yeah. Overall, it's good to hear that you've been keeping yourself busy. I know for myself, the last couple of weeks, I've just been, I've been trying to keep myself busy. We've got a treadmill at home, so I can kind of sort of keep up with workouts, doing some stuff around the house. Oh. You know what we do to keep up with workouts? What? Richard Simmons. Amazing. Yeah. It's good stuff. Like, you end up working up a pretty decent sweat while doing it. And then Chelsea's been doing some Jane Fonda stuff on top of that. Oh, man. Jane Fonda. I totally forgot about her. Actually, it was interesting. Uh, Chelsea did a deep dive on Jane Fonda about a week ago. And... Just looking at some of the role, like some of the movie roles she was in, like uh, I think it was Barbarella was one night. We looked at the synopsis, just like, oh, oh, and uh, then looking into like her workout videos, and like some of them are from like I think the first one was like 1981, and she was already like 30, 40 when she started them. 
Yeah, and then so she like, did like one shit. years later, and she looked a lot younger as well. Yeah, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, what is this witchcraft? I guess the power of dance inspired Pilates. Yeah, I mean, look at Richard Simmons. That dude's in the 60s, and he looks like that. Actually, I think Richard Simmons is about 70 right now. Is he really? Here, I'll, I'll quickly look this up. Yeah, he was born in, like, the mid-40s, I think. Okay, that's crazy. I'm going to quickly look this up, because honestly, you've got me thinking now. Let's see, Richard Simmons. The man is 71. Oh, crazy. Yeah, born 48. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just quickly give you a quick synopsis. I was telling you earlier today, uh, before we hit record, I actually had to go into work today because I was doing a training course for when the kids come back to school in September. And so it was a mask fitting course. I'm going to have to redo this again because I didn't pass. It's freaking hard, man. And I was really, I hated myself for a couple of hours after not passing it because I'm thinking, come on, dude, like everybody in this course got this. How are you not getting this? And then you, that shit's hard. And you, yeah, exactly. You and I were talking about that, and you're just like, dude, that stuff's hard, man. And I had to learn all that shit in like four hours, four or five hours, as I'm like still half asleep for like a quarter of it. Yeah, I guess next, uh, if you're going to tomorrow, just pop a monster or something. I had two of them, and I was still like, um, Gotta go for the third, my dude. Tim, are you trying to kill me? No, no. I'm just trying to get your heart go zoo zoo. Do you know I read somewhere? I think it's, uh, how many in like a four-hour period? It's like six? Six women in a four-hour period can stop your heart? It, well, I remember uh, one time I was at a house party, and my plan for the evening was to make a nuclear a nuclear Jager bomb. Okay. And then, uh, I read the back of the package, and it said, do not consume more than four in a day. And I'm like, Pfft. and Chelsea's like, Tim, don't do that. Okay. Probably a good idea. So we had like an eight, like a Mickey of Jaeger and an eight-pack of Red Bull. Ugh. And we're going to just pour that into a bucket. Oh, man. That would be a good party. That would be a good party drink, though. Yeah. Now do you? Now here's the thing. I know how you do Jagger shots and Jagger bombs. Is that you pour the shot in the in the cup and you shoot it down? How exactly uh, do you do it with it? Do you get like another bucket with the Jagger inside the bigger bucket, or how you do it? The original plan was I was going to get like a put the Mickey into like a mason jar, okay, and then drop it in the bucket. But uh, we didn't have a bucket, so we had to kind of compromise on that. But then when we decided that nuclear Jaeger bomb wasn't going to be a thing anyway, it just turned into drinking normal Jaeger bombs. Yeah. Actually, no, I think we made, just took a really big cup and a smaller cup and did it that way and just passed it around. That's actually not too bad. And, you know, I've I've probably told the story about Jaegermeister and myself, so I'm not going to go too much into detail about my thoughts on Jaeger. But actually, <laughs> sticking about alcohol, and one thing I actually started drinking in the last couple of weeks has been Pink Whitney. Now, Pink Whitney, for those who don't know, was started by Ryan Whitney, who, of course, former NHLer, turned podcaster with Spit and Chicklets. Uh, New Amsterdam Vodka came up with this with Whitney and the guys from Spit and Chicklets. And I gotta say, you know, and I've only had maybe a bottle or two. It's actually not that bad. It's actually better than I thought it was going to be. I was never a vodka guy, and I've been sober for about a year and a half now, so I... Just thinking about vodka just makes my stomach a little sick. Yeah, and, and I'm not a huge vodka guy either, Tim. But, you know, it's one of these things where it's like, okay, you know, I've heard so much about this. I need to try it out and, and kind of have my own opinion on it. Mm. And so when I bought the bottle, and this was a pain in the ass. This fucking stuff was hard to find here on the in Duncan. And I finally found a bottle, and I was like, oh, right on, Pig Whitney. So I took it home. I put it on the counter. I was like, you know. I wonder what I wonder what this tastes like. So I screwed the top off and I took a swig out of the bottle and I put it down and I was like, wow, that's actually really smooth. Oh my god. It went like right to my head with all the oh, okay. al all the alcohol and all the sugar in it. It's like holy fuck. Uh I need to sit down. I guess the other thing that doesn't help is like all of like the bad times Tim has had with liquor vodka has been involved in somehow been involved somehow. I know, and there's um, been some good stories here on the podcast about those, Tim. 
Yeah, yeah. Although, uh, yeah, don't think I've ever had a bad time with Jaeger bombs, though. No, Jaeger bombs to me seems like one of those things where it's just a very, it's a very early party drink. Like when you're sober, you do you take one of those and you're ready to go. Oh yeah, well I guess it is. It's it's a Red Bull. Yeah, actually, what I used to do when I was doing Jaeger bombs was that I would get. You know how Monster has, like, the different flavored kind of energy drinks, not just the, oh, okay. the green ones? So they had, like, uh, orange, like, orange is one. They had a berry one. They've got a green apple one, which I actually I really like now. And so I was mixing those with the Jaeger, and it's actually pretty good. Actually, it does sound pretty good. Actually, I haven't had energy drinks for either, to be honest. I know, but those things haven't killed me yet, and I drink two of them before I play hockey too. So, fair enough. Yeah, well, yeah. you, you got to get yourself going somehow, eh? Yeah, it's like I used to drink them a lot more when I was an undergrad. My hot test take taking tip was uh, if you want to write on time and be the most focused you will ever be, drink a bunch of water and an energy drink before an exam. Yeah, because there's nothing that gets the brain more acute than biological urges will write the best damn test of your life so what you're saying is that that's what i should have done earlier today maybe yeah but then again if you're if it's like a four-hour exam you're not gonna be able to hold your bladder for four hours yeah that's true well the exam was only like 20 minutes uh, the okay, course yeah. the course yeah, itself was like four or something hours yeah just if you have to write an exam well, i'll think of that next time i do it so, Tim, we're just going to switch gears here. Now, before we go into, and we are going to talk about the some Ottawa Senators news over the last couple of weeks, one big thing we need to talk about, Tim, is that the last time that you and I were together, we got a chance to interview Dr. Bruce Firestone, the founder of the Ottawa Senators. So, let's quickly go all through a recap of that interview, because I think that was something that... For me, it was one of those episodes where I was super, super nervous. I don't know how you were feeling going into it, but I was really nervous conducting that interview just because, and I feel this kind of way. Anytime that we've had big name guests on it, I feel the same about when we had Ian on or Noodles and Bruce was no different. I always had that kind of anxiety a little bit like, oh my God, you know, I got to be on my A game. I got to make sure I'm enunciating my words correctly and all the good stuff. It has to go into this. And then... We get we were start talking to Bruce and he totally put my nerves at ease because he he was one thing I found he was very personable with us. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah, actually I, go ahead, Tim. I didn't really know what to expect going in. Uh, well, I read the book obviously, but yeah, I just didn't really know what to expect. But I guess his book's written in a pretty personable tone too, so I guess I'm not that surprised. Mm -hmm. Well, even going back to the interview and even the part of the episode interview when I said that the one thing I took away from the book and himself is that his feeling on the founding of the auto centers is like, yeah, that was cool, but it's only one of the things that I did. And same thing when I read his book, that was the tone I got about him talking about the founding of the team. Mm. Must be nice to have, have that sort of thing being like, yeah, I founded a hockey team. No biggie. Yeah, it was really, really cool. And, you know, and over the last couple of weeks, like, we've got a chance to talk with him through emails and stuff. And I really love the fact, and going back to how personal he was, like, he took an interest in us and we were talking. Even before we entered, he would, he would ask us, like, oh, where are you guys calling from? What do we do for a living? That's really part surreal and part really cool that somebody like Bruce Firestone is asking us, hey, like, what do you do for a living? Where are you guys from? Like, all kind of questions that you would never, ever think that he would want to ask us. Yeah, although I do feel a little bad because I'm not sure how... Did I say that I had a doctorate? Because I don't have a doctorate. I believe in the interview you did, yes. And that's when, uh, like, when I was... I, yeah, I, I don't have a doctorate. I have an economics degree, but it's a master's degree. Yeah, and that was one of the things, like, I was listening back to it, and I was like, Tim has a PhD? Really? I didn't... I no. I never knew that. Okay, I must have not been fully paying attention when I respond to that. So, yeah, I don't have a doctorate. No, you have a degree in economics. Yeah, I actually, have an MA. Actually, you know what? Speaking about uh, your career, Tim, 
do you want to tell the listeners what uh, we found out about Bruce Firestone and the company that you work for? Oh, yeah. You mentioned that. Uh, actually, is it all right to say this on the podcast? What? Uh, sure, whatever. I don't believe it. I don't believe uh, it's on. Yeah, he mentioned that his father used to work for CMHC back when it was about... Uh, so when CMHC was founded, it was more for uh, providing housing for veterans coming back from World War II than it was about mortgage insurance or the stability of the housing market or, so, or general social housing or, or Aboriginal housing or the many hats that CMHC wears now. And yeah, Dr. Bruce's dad worked for CMHC for a bit. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And also, and uh, and I got a chance, I saw the email you sent him as well. And the one thing that I took away from it was that it is actually kind of surprising. And you mentioned that the company you work for and the connections it has with the Sens, given that Bruce's dad was involved with it. And I believe that you also said that, I can't quote me on this from what you were, what I was told was that Bruce, one of Bruce Garriock's sons worked for the company as well. That's what I've heard that one of his kids works for CMHC down the grapevine. Obviously don't want to name names. Obviously. Yeah, you, you yeah. don't want to yeah. confirm that because there's no yeah. proof to that. Exactly. And actually, one final comment I do want to make about the interview is that it's been a very well-listened interview, and I threw it up on my Facebook page, and a lot of people on my feed were giving their props and their kudos and everything, and even my dad listened to the episode. Oh, hey. And even he liked it. He doesn't even, He's not even a Senators fan, and he enjoyed it. Yeah, and... Actually, it's interesting because uh, Dr. Bruce put the recording up on his YouTube channel. It's got about 50-odd listens. I know, and it has like four thumbs up right now. One of them might be me, but that's not the point. <laughs> now, Tim, one thing that I do want to talk about when it comes to Bruce Firestone, and it is going to relate with the next with the story that we're going to start off talking about the Sens News, is that one thing that he mentioned in the interview when talking about the founding of the Ottawa Senators, is that he his involvement in starting of the Ottawa Senators Foundation. Give or That's... take three <laughs> to four days later, the Ottawa Senators Foundation issued a statement regarding their agreement with Capital Sports Entertainment, the company that owns the Ottawa Senators. They are sp- cutting ties. Yeah, that's... I have no idea what's going on there, you know? And it was so weird because... And um, we're talking about it. One thing that I do have to comment is that I didn't read the Ottawa Sun... The couple of articles that Rick Gibbons wrote for the Sun where he claimed that the financial reasons were behind the split, which caused an up... Which does, which absolutely caused an uproar on Sen's Twitter with the hashtag Melnick out campaign coming back and uh, Graham Nichols. I know he started a campaign. I think he raised like 12 grand or something for a charity. Yeah. I'm glad at least out of all of the crap that came out of the media kerfuffle, at least the money went to a good place. It did. And from what I understand, I think now, obviously I didn't hear this on his Twitter or excuse me. I couldn't really find any, articles or anything i know that the ottawa sun did issue an apology to eugene melnick with the claims that the financial reasons were behind the split and from what i understand that melnick also responded to the said articles i think there's a quote from eugene melnick in one of the tsn articles that i read basically the gist of it is well it's hard to say what exactly happened because uh, the sun went out and i don't think the sun the Sun didn't disclose their sources, is what I remember from the article. I could be remembering it wrong, though. It's like, that's the one thing that is really hard, especially especially with media and especially with anonymous sources, is you have to remember that you are going on the journalist's word. And in the case of Eugene Melnick, I honestly don't blame people for not giving his side of the argument all that much faith, given what's happened in the past Three years? Five years. But at the same time, like, I've been on the end of just being completely misrepresented by a reporter, and it, it sucks. Like, straight up sucks. So I can empathize. It does. And the thing about hockey, 
hockey journalists is that there usually is like a handful of guys whose sources are so good that when they put out a tweet or they put out an article, you can count it's a hundred percent true. And one of the big guys, like look at Elliot Friedman, right? Elliot Friedman, who I know some people maybe don't like him or, you know, some of the abbreviations for the team's names and whatever on Twitter, but they're fantastic. They are. And they're funny. And I'm looking at them and I'm trying to make sense of some of those teams. It's like, what the hell is this? Like, didn't one time he had Ottawa was like OTW or something? Yeah, you can definitely tell that this is someone who got on the Twitter platform pretty early. And a lot of these clues are really just really economize on character limits. Because early, early Twitter, if you want to retweet, you had to actually explicitly quote the tweet in your tweet. So you had less than 144 characters. So just weird stuff like that arose. So it's like one person, and it was this way up even after the election, is that if you looked at Donald Trump's personal Twitter, it took him a while to figure out how retweet changed. And he was doing it the old way, even right up to the election in 2016. Oh, I never even really noticed that, Tim. Yeah, so it's uh, like people who were on Twitter early, it was you built a lot of habits to really get as much out of cram as much stuff in as little space as possible and uh, weird acronyms is, and non like being a, being flexible with your acronyms is definitely one of those things. That is true. Cause I remember even when I was first getting on Twitter, I remember even retweeting. It was such a pain in the ass. Cause you, like you said, right. It was almost like you had to copy that whole tweet into your own. Yeah. Yeah. Like when did you start using Twitter? Cause I think my current account is 2011. You know what? I could quickly have a look here because I want to say 2012? No, September 2011. Oh, so we joined about the same time. <laughs> yeah, but here's the best... Here's the uh, the big question, though, Tim. Uh, do you have a picture of Homer Simpson with a beer and a hot dog in a baby in a kiddie pool on his front lawn as the profile pic? No. You know I've got anime girl. I know. <laughs> so sticking with the the Melnick news about the Ottawa Senators Foundation. And I understand that a lot of people on social media were so up in arms. And of course, like I said, the hashtag Melnick out campaign got up again. Graham Nichols did his old good thing with the 12 grand fundraiser. And then since Twitter was hit with another bombshell a day or two later, when Senator social media guy, Craig Medaglia announced he was quitting. Now, now, keep in mind, I'm not here to speculate that the two are related. Because I don't believe it is. But I can understand where people on social media may get that idea. Because of the news of the Senators Foundation splitting ties. And next thing you know, Craig McDoglia is resigning from the Senators. I can understand where some people may see a connection between the two. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing. When we're talking about other people's livelihoods... And their personal decisions. I can understand where people make that connection, but keep that thought to yourself. Yeah, I get that. And I understand that when I looked at uh, the message Craig put out on Facebook, it he never really exactly gave a reason why. He just said it was for personal reasons. And I think yeah. that that's where a lot of it came from. And I'm just going to quickly look at here. Uh, yeah for personal he says uh, for personal reasons i decided to give my notice at the sends last week super proud of the work i've been able to produce over the last five plus seasons with my teammates and i wish the team all the best moving forward see when you read something like this and as i was saying it's not hard for somebody to think that there's a connection between the two and like I said, I, I'm not here to speculate whether it's true. I don't think it is, personally. You know, if maybe there's stuff away from his career with the Senators as a social media guy that maybe that played a huge factor in, I believe that's probably a bigger reason than what's going on with the Sens Foundation. Honestly, we don't know the guy. And as far as I, I'm concerned, what he said is what it is, right? Exactly, and that's the way that I'm taking it. I will say right now for our listeners that 
I would love to actually have Craig on the show. And I think oh. he's, and you know, he's been one of these guys that we've wanted on the show and we've been fans of his work. So I'm hoping maybe in the next little while, I'll either reach out or just send out some feelers, see if he's interested in all. And you never know. Maybe, maybe he could be uh, one of our interview guests, Tim. And actually yeah. he would be, he would be a first because not only would he be the second person within the Ottawa Senators organization, you know, not including Bruce Firestone, who was the founder, but he would be the very first interview guest who is also a third line plug episode cover athlete. Wasn't Jamie McLennan a cover person? He he was, but he was on the show before he was a cover athlete though. Oh, yeah, I'm talking so we're like kiss ups. Got it. Exactly. So you know, Tim, with all of the the bad news going on in Sens land, I feel that we should close out this with a good news story. And that, of course, we're going to talk about Bobby Ryan's nomination for the Masterson Award for the 2019-2020 NHL season. And, you know, I honestly believe that Bobby Ryan, if he doesn't win it this year, I swear he's going to be a runner-up. Because there's no way that you come back from all the personal issues he had off the ice and score a hat trick and the fans absolutely love him for it. Mm-hmm. And that game was just watching that this season was amazing and just a, an amazing story. And I hope he wins the award. Honestly, honestly, my pick would be Bobby Ryan. And I actually, somebody on Twitter actually mentioned that if Bobby Ryan doesn't win it, there's a pretty big push that, um, oh God, what the hell is it? The kid from the Flyers who had cancer, Oscar. Oh, Fattenberg? No, not Fattenberg. No, uh, like uh, Lindbergh or whatever. Oscar, Lin- yeah. Oscar Lindbergh. Yeah, there's a big push that he would win it after his cancer diagnosis. And you know what? If Bobby Ryan doesn't win it, I would be absolutely okay with him getting that award. Yeah, it's been it's been a season with a lot of people kind of rising above really difficult situations that life spit them in. Yeah, if if it wasn't Bobby Ryan's alcoholism, it was Oscar Lindbergh's cancer diagnosis, it was Scott Saverin coming back from the injury he had. You know, so many good news stories in the, this past season. Yeah, no kidding. So, Tim, do you have anything you want to add before we head off into a really quick break and then we can come back and do our play-in round predictions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Okay, okay, Tim. So we're going to take a really quick break here in the Third Lane Plug Sensecast, and we will be back to talk about the 2020 NHL playoffs play-in round predictions. Coming right back. Hi, sports fans. This is Bruce Firestone, founder of the Ottawa Senators. You are listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Before we get into giving our play-in round predictions, Tim, I got to ask a really quick question. Now, just during that break, I was playing the NHL on Fox theme. Quick thoughts right away? Like it? Dislike it? What are your thoughts on it? It's a banger, honestly. It is. I honestly get some real nostalgia out of it when I hear it, which is funny because, you know, during that time... It was like Fox had it for the longest time in the 90s, and then ABC had it, ESPN, which I we didn't really get up here anyway. But yeah, it was like Fox and ABC had it then before NBC came along and took the rights. Yeah. Yeah, I... Angel's kind of weird, which is like... And then, and then one network gets the rights. 
I know, it's so good. So good. So yeah, I'm thinking for when we do our playoff prediction episodes, maybe we should be using that as a theme, Tim. Hell yeah. So Tim, let's get into t- giving our predictions for the play-in round. Now, given that this podcast is based in the West Coast, that's where we're going to start off. We're going to start off in the Western Conference. First series we need to talk about, the 5th-seeded Edmonton Oilers versus the 12th-seeded Chicago Blackhawks. And you know, I know one or two people may disagree with this, but I'm going to go Edmonton and 5. Now, here's my reasonings. Chicago does have the playoff experience. Not being a playoff team the last two seasons could potentially help the older Blackhawks as now they are less beaten up and less worn down. I think the reason why I'm going for Edmonton is because, for me, the big question is whether Corey Crawford's going to be healthy and ready to go for the playoffs. Unless he absolutely stands on his head, I really do not have much faith in Malcolm Subban starting for the Hawks. Now, on the Edmonton side, it's unlike 2017, this isn't going to be like when McDavid and Dreisaitl basically had to carry the Oilers by themselves because Ken Holland actually went out and got some really solid additions like Athens Athena CU, Tyler Ennis, Mike Green, if he's healthy. And I think they'll give him some support, plus a better defense than they had in 2017. Chicago was a seller at the deadline, and that defensive depth is somehow worse than Edmonton's. Yeah, for, for me, on Edmonton, I think the real weakness is going to be in goal, given that when you really think about it, Mike Smith relatively doesn't have much playoff experience. Despite going 11-12-4 in the playoffs, he does have a 9-3-4 save percentage and a 217 goals against average which is pretty solid all things considered but you got to keep in mind the last time he was in the playoffs i believe was with the flames yeah that was last year and uh we know how that ended oh yeah it ended terribly yeah it was one of those series where we're like oh yeah calgary's totally gonna knock off colorado and then colorado knocks him off in five Overall, Tim, what are your predictions uh, for a final tally? Do you think Edmonton at five, or do you pick in maybe Chicago? Or... I think Edmonton takes this one. Uh, I don't. I think Chicago. As as much as I like, I am a core. I am a core. I do think Corey Harper does good work. I just I don't think Colorado. Sorry, Chicago really has defense here, and uh, I'm not. Really sold like top line to top line. Edmonton takes this. Like Chicago, Chicago doesn't have the firepower to match Edmonton. No, and that's not to say Chicago doesn't have firepower. Like they still have Kane, and now they've been complimented with a young. Uh, what's the kid's name? Uh, Kirby Doc. Kirby Doc, and even Dylan Strom and Alex Nylander. Like their top six is good, but it's not Connor McDavid to be on Drysdale. With Kaylor Yamamoto really filling into a spot, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's quietly one of the better left wingers in the NHL. So we're going to move our attention to the next series we need to talk about: the six-seeded Nashville Predators versus the eleventh-seed Arizona Coyotes. Now, this is going to be pretty controversial. I know a lot of people probably won't pick them, but my prediction: I'm going to pick the Coyotes in four. Now, the reason why I'm picking the Coyotes in four is because on paper, Nashville has a superior team than the Coyotes. You know, Nashville's got guys like Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson up front, while having guys like Roman Yossi on the back end. For me, personally, I just have a bit of a gut feeling when it comes to the Coyotes because one of two things is going to happen. Either Nashville's going to play way down to the Coyotes, or... Pekka Rene is absolutely going to crap the bed for the Predators in the playoffs. Well, I think the other thing is is, uh, Arizona has two goalies that are liable to go off. Like Darcy Comfer and Antiranta can play excellent hockey for extended periods of time. I think one of those goalies is going to steal a series. The hard thing, though, is these Coyotes can't score a goddamn goal to save their life. So... Nashville doesn't have to score much. They just have to score. That is true, but I feel that people are sleeping on the Coyotes, given that, 
you know, you look at guys like Oliver Ekman, Larson can still produce. Jomerson can shut guys down on the back end. You have the young guys like Clayton Keller who've got burn to, speed to burn. As you were saying, Auntie Rodden and Darcy Kemper, they've got two solid goalie and healthy, by the way. Yeah. And, and Darcy, like, Phil Kessel can figure shit out. I was going to say, and we also can't forget the playoff experience with Derek Stefan and Phil Kessel. But for me, I think the big question mark is with the injuries on defense for Nashville. Because honestly, I'm like, oh, okay, Nashville, whatever. But I think if they can come back, and they're and they're healthy and they're ready to go for the playoffs, then I can see Nashville taking the series. But at the moment, as it stands right now, I'm picking Arizona in four. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. And the thing is, is this this Nashville team was a team that just like the off season came came kind of at a bad time for them because like they were finally putting things together. Things were finally going together the way they finally. Finally, things were going together for Nashville. So overall, Tim, are you picking Nashville overall, or are you picking Arizona? As much as I like the Coyotes, I think I have to give it to Nashville. The Coyotes couldn't score to save their lives. Like, they couldn't even get, like, the one or two goals they needed to win games during the regular season. I don't, I'm not sure they're going to turn the page now. Like, if they figure out how to score quick, then, yeah, I'd say it's the Coyotes, but they got to put the puck at the damn net. So we're going to go on and talk about the next series, the 7th-seeded Vancouver Canucks versus the 10th seed Minnesota Wild. Now, this is this a... This sounds like it would be a good series to me personally, 15 years ago. Exactly. To me, this is a series I really debated whether or not I was going to pick Vancouver to sweep, given that Minnesota looks so average compared to the Canucks in this. But I'm going to say the Canucks are going to win this in four. Because the one thing that, and we've talked about this here on the show, but the one thing that Canucks have done over the last couple of seasons has they've built themselves into a solid and exciting team in the ice. Their youth and speed, I feel, will be the deciding factor for the Canucks as Minnesota is a much bigger yet slower team. The one thing that I think that may hurt the Canucks, but you know when you look at teams like the expansion Golden Knights, or even the Blackhawks from 10 years ago who proved that you don't need an overwhelming worth of playoff experience and at the end of the day to get the job done. I feel that's maybe not going to be a big deal for the Canucks, but that might come back to be might, might come back to kick them in the ass if say Minnesota upsets them. Well, I think one of the big issues with the Canucks is their right defense is something off. With uh, Chris Tanev, Troy Stetcher, and Tyler Myers. Their left side with Quinn Hughes and Alex Edler is, they're good to go. Their top six is young and exciting, as you said. The Tanner, tier, the Tanner Pearson and JT Miller pickups, in retrospect, were excellent. Brock Besser is really coming to his rules. And with Bull Harvett, Elias Patterson has been amazing. And the rest of the players they put around them, not great, but it'll work. Um, I don't think the Canucks go far, but... I think they, I think they have a chance. I think they probably, they probably take Minnesota, especially with Jacob Markstrom really rounding into shape. Because the hard thing with Minnesota is they were definite, were definitely rebuilding at the end of the season there. Because that's another team that was uh, sending, looking like it was about to send a bunch of players out the door at the trade deadline. There, surprisingly, they didn't make too many big moves, and I think their big move had already happened. Uh, if I remember correct, was it Dumba that went out or, Mm. sorry, no, Jason Zucker going out was the big move. So I feel like, uh, that was definitely the, the wild were sellers. And I think that, uh, they might not have enough in the tank to really go. No, I don't think so either. I can see them maybe winning a playoff game, but not a series. No. Although, uh, Crosby, Zucker, and Sheary's going to be a... F- they're going to be fun to play against in the playoffs. Same with uh, Malkin, Rust, and Marlowe. Yeah, and we'll get to that here in a second. Just a round of the Western Conference, the 8th-seeded Calgary Flames versus the ninth seed Winnipeg Jets. Adam, I am so sorry for this, man. I'm picking Calgary in five. 
Now this is a, this for me. This is the series from the West where I didn't really know who to really pick in this. And for me, what the Jets lack in big names on the back end, they're really not a bad team. Actually, they're a pretty good team if you were to think about it because they have some really good players up front, like the Kyle Connors, the Nikolai Ellers, the Patrick Lines, the Mark Scheifleys, while also, also having a really good goaltender, Connor Hullabuck. I think the, the reason why I'm giving Calgary the nod is just because, to me, on paper, they seem like a more round team. Their strong core up front includes the other Chuck brothers, Sean Monaghan, Johnny Hockey, while in the back end, they are boosted with vets like Mark Giudano, complimented by the youngsters like Eric Gustafson, who was from the Chicago Blackhawks, and Rasmus Anderson. Also giving Calgary the nod due to their goalie situation. Hellebuck, it has been a rock for the Jets, but I think that Calgary's goaltending duo of David Riddick and Cam Talbot, yes, I never ever thought I would ever say that, as his backup, I think will really help them out in the end. I don't know, it's... Riddick and Talbot, they are definitely a shaky combo. And I think that could also be Calgary's undoing. Uh, the thing about uh, the Jets that I think a lot of people sleep on is just how good that Cal Connor, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler line truly is. Like, And then having uh, Ellers, Line, and when uh, if Ryan Little is healthy, they have. like Their top two lines can fly with most teams. And, like, their depth, it's not great, but it's not bad either. And as far as their defensive pairings go, they're they're definitely competent. Uh, I, I do like, like, the Calgary Flames, uh, like, between... Their top two lines are good. They're good. It's a good, solid build. But they kind of just... They're another team that really would have... I wouldn't be surprised that if the season had gone to completion, Calgary would have missed. It's true, and you were talking about Nashville finally getting their stuff together at the end of the season, and I was talking to Adam, and and same thing with Winnipeg. Winnipeg was really getting their gears going, and it looked like they were going to make a push for the playoffs as well. Yeah, well, that's kind of the thing. Uh, What was their... (laughs) Of course, the NHL goes and gets rid of their uh, their last few game record, but yeah, Winnipeg was... At the end of the season, Winnipeg had a positive goal differential, and they actually had more points than Calgary, but they had played two more games. So, like, Winnipeg was getting their game together, while Calgary was kind of trending the wrong way. So what you're saying on this one, Tim, is that you're going to pick Winnipeg over Calgary? I think I'm picking Winnipeg in five. Okay, that should be a good series, though, I think. I think so. So we're going to turn our attention to the Eastern Conference, the fifth seed of Pittsburgh Penguins versus the twelfth seed, Montreal Canadiens. I really have no idea what to say about this series. Both teams overall are not great. Yes, the Penguins may have Crosby and Malkin, but their supporting cast is not great overall. Montreal may not have that one-two punch of Crosby Malkin, but they're but the emergence of Nick Suzuki. And the possibility of Carey Price getting hot could help Montreal take out Pittsburgh. And for that reason, I'm going to go Montreal in five. You know what? I don't see it. Because, again, it's Sidney Crosby and Jenny Malkin. And the the Penguins did a very good... I think the Penguins did a really good job shoring up their, their lack of forward tools that they kind of lost over the years with that pickup of Jason Zucker. And then Brian Dumoulin and Marcus Pedersen have really kind of grown into their own this season. So what looked like a defensive black hole in Pittsburgh is kind of become just a defense defense core that can give you an honest day's work. So between all of that, Matt Murray, who deals playoff games like no one's business, and Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, Montreal is getting stomped. Honestly, I just want to see Pittsburgh getting their ass handed to them, but I don't know. I mean, I just... Or is this so Montreal doesn't get into the draft lottery? Because th- you can't play fate that way, Tay. I know, I know, I know, but I kind of don't <laughs> want Montreal to do it. I mean, they've done it before, but that was years ago. But yeah, I just, I don't think you can count Pittsburgh out. 
Yeah, but think of it, Tim. I don't want Lafreniere going to Montreal. Do you want to go into Pittsburgh? No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Let's talk about the next series, Tim. The six-seeded Carolina Hurricanes versus the 11th-seed New York Rangers. So I'm going to go with Carolina and four. Now, this is going to be a really interesting series because both teams are complete opposites of each other. The Hurricanes boast a strong defense with decent enough offense to complement. The Rangers have an offense that are led by the Breadman and Mika Zibanejad with strong plays from rookie goalie Igor Shaturkin. I do think Carolina will do a decent job shutting down the Rangers offensively, but for me, it'll be getting the puck in the net, which will be a big challenge for them. I think this is going to be a low-scoring affair series-wise, but I think it's going to be a tight series overall. You know, I think a lot of people sleep on Carolina's offense, and you really shouldn't because between, like, Ajo, Sveshnikov, Taravine, and Justin Williams, Jordan Stahl, have and Warren Fogelby, you've got a lot of shot generation. Joel Edmondson and J- really come to his own this season as well with Jacob Slavin and Jake Gardner and Dougie Hamilton coming back from injuries. Same with Brett Pesk. You have a team that is very able to create offense, create and sustain offense. I think that you're right, it's going to be like I think Carolina smothers. New York, but New York does have tools that can just break open a game. The hard thing for uh, Carol, I think the hard thing for Carolina is going to be is do they finally this year? Just the goaltending hasn't quite been there as often as it should. And the the other question, like maybe Ryan Dezingle comes back and actually pops a few goals as well. Maybe because he proved it with the Sens that he does have some scoring touch to him. But you know, yeah. it's going to be a big what if with him right now, if he can do the same for the Hurricanes in the playoffs? Well, the other thing is, is there a spot for him, especially with, uh, like, Jordan Martin coming in and Martin Neckes? Yeah, that's true, that's true. You know, it's funny, we were talking about, because you just mentioned Dougie Hamilton, what if, say, by some, some miracle, Carolina-Calgary finals, Carolina wins the cup, Dougie Hamilton takes it to Moxie's? He is not going to Moxie's. Oh, come on, that would be hilarious if we took out the Moxies. <sighs> Look, I know it's not going to happen, Tim, but, you know. I just don't want people thinking that going to Moxies is a thing that cultured people do. Because it's not. I'm just and, like, if you have a friend who says, let's go to Moxies, you should politely but firmly suggest that they are uncultured. Remember the time that we walked by that Moxie's in Calgary and we were laughing? We were like, ha, there's the place where Dougie Hamilton got traded out of town. Yeah, and you know what was across, what was kid quarter from that Moxie's? Crack Max. A Max so infamous that it's named. Crack Max. Yes. The Calgary police have a dedicated parking space there. At a Max. Huh. Well, the more you know, Tim. Yeah. That's what makes it even freaking funnier. <laughs> okay, so for this series, you're saying Carolina as well? Carolina, yeah. All right. It's actually really funny. Carolina bought Brady Shea off of the Rangers at the deadline. It's a shame that Adam Fox decided that he didn't want to play for Carolina. Yeah, but he decided to play for the Rangers, though. Yeah. Rangers are such a weird team because you know how most teams just have it, they have issues with finding quality players on the right side of their defense? Yeah. New York's right defense is fine with uh, Truba, D'Angelo, and Fox, but the left side is a mess with Brandon Smith and Mark Stahl. Really? I, mean, I guess if Chris Kreider comes back, maybe it's a bit, there's a bit more firepower on the Rangers. Maybe. The 7th-seeded New York Islanders versus the 10th-seeded Florida Panthers. So I'm going to go the Panthers in five. Now, of course, this is a repeat of their playoff series in 2016 where Florida got jawed to the Islanders. Both teams are somewhat even. I think the, the Panthers have more firepower up front. The Islanders have a more rounded decor. I think the deciding factor for the Panthers, despite his average numbers, is going to be Sergei Bobrovsky, whether or not he steps up his game for Florida. I mean, 
they paid the fucker ten million dollars, he better fucking do something. I know, but, like, well, look at he almost lost his job to Chris Drieger. Hey, to be fair, the Senators' goalie development system is out of this world, and I don't understand why. Like, just look at all the top tier goalies that have come out of there. Yeah, and surprisingly, none of them still play for us today. Um, excuse me? Augberg is with us. Okay, that's one exception. I'm thinking, like, the top-tier goalies. Oh, okay, you know, fair enough. You know, your Robin Lenners, your Ben Bishops, guys like that. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Although I would argue that Craig Anderson has been here long enough, you might as well call him one of our products. Yeah, that is true, Tim. That is true. Actually, he played for the Florida Panthers, too. He did, yeah. But uh, the Florida Panthers are such an interesting team, you know? Like, it's a team that, when you look at it on paper, it's like, there's a lot of really good pieces, like, and understated good pieces here, like Jonathan Huberto, Evgeny Dadanov, Alexander Barkov, Eamon Nolachari. It's just, will they play to their billing? Because... The New York Islanders are just a really, I almost want to say cobbled together team, but like you, you can't ignore the center depth that they've managed to assemble in Barzil, Nelson, Pajot, and Broussard. It's just for whatever reason, you, you look at the Islanders and this shouldn't work. No, but the nice thing about both these teams is that they have an equal number of ex-Ottawa Senators playing for them now. That's true, especially with Pajot and Broussard. Yeah, and for Florida, you got Hoffman and Dreiger. Yeah. Well, it's just both these, like, the Panthers are a team that I definitely was a bit more excited for in the offseason than what we actually ended up seeing. If they could put it together, it'd be really nice. For the Islanders, like, I don't really get it. Maybe they'll be able to put it together. Who knows? Keep whatever it is that Lou Lamoureux Lou put together, continuing to move. Yeah. Honestly, I, and maybe I'm tempting fate here, but I would also like to say that I'm picking Florida just because the Ottawa Senators have the Islanders' first-round pick this year. That's fair. Yeah, can, but you, remember, can you imagine three picks in the top ten? Who knows? The Since training for Pajot, the Islanders haven't won a game. Yeah. That is true, that is true. And now we come to the final series. I know for some people this is the one that they've wanted us to talk about. The 8th seed of Toronto Maple Leafs versus the ninth seed, Columbus Blue Jackets. Let's, let's just take a step back here. How the hell did the Toronto Maple Leafs fall down to 8th seed? I don't know. I mean, I was going to say, how does the Toronto Maple Leafs with all that firepower... They didn't even look like they were going to make the playoffs at one point. Yeah. What's actually kind of amazing is that Columbus Blue Jackets are actually the only team in the Metro division that Toronto has a higher win percentage than. You know, I'm going to say right now, Tim, I'm going to say... Wait, I forgot New Jersey exists. That's true. I'm going to say right now that the Toronto Maple Leafs playoff losing streak since they've come back in 2017 will extend to four straight years as the Columbus Blue Jackets knock them off in four games. Now, I know that some people are going to disagree with my picking of Columbus. Given This is a hot take. Given the Blue Jackets lost Duchesne, Panarin, and Sergei Bobrovsky last year. Toronto's track record in the playoffs recently have been terrible. But the one good thing about the Blue Jackets last year, they swept the 62-win Lightning. I mean, fair enough. But this, at the same time, though, this is a team that doesn't have a lot going for it. I'm going to be perfectly honest. But granted, it was a team that also, despite being hilariously bitten by the injury bug at the end of the season, managed to Hang around with the big boys. Like, here, let's just read off Columbus's injury reserve list here. Okay. Josh Anderson, Cam Atkinson, Oliver Bjorkstad, Seth Jones, D. 
Ian Kukin, Alexander Texier, Nathan Gerb, Ryan Murray. That's like most of their good players. Like their only top player really left is uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and arguably Gustav Nyquist. They brought in Gustav Nyquist. Yeah, but the good thing about it is, and again, we're, we can only predict this given that we don't have hindsight of training camp or how this is going to go into the playoff, the play-in round. But I see that a lot of these guys are going to be healthy. And I I don't know. I just think that the Blue Jackets have a more well-rounded team than the, the Leafs do. The Leafs, while they have the huge names up front with the firepower, for me, the Blue Jackets have a much better defense. And I mean, I think, it's hard, though, because like the Leafs are trotting out Morgan Riley, Jake Munson, and Tyson Berry. Granted, after that, it's kind of a kind of house of cards with Cody Cece, Justin Hall, and Rasmus Sandin. So, like, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but that is a solid, about as solid of a decor as it can really become. But the problem uh, is, Tim, when it comes to the Leafs, is that the last couple of years, their offense have not shown up. Like, look at last year. Mitch Marner and Frederick Anderson were the only guys who showed up at all. True. Although, I guess, it, like, yeah, if, uh, if Austin Matthews is a no-show again, then that's it. Yep. If he's a no-show, if Nylander's a no-show, if Tavares... I think Tavares will, will show up. But you've got to realize that you need to go through the Blue Jackets, and I think they're going to surprise some people by knocking off Toronto. I don't know. I, I still think that's a bit of a hot... I guess the thing this year, though, is that I think Toronto has less off... Like, their forward depth this year is not as good as it was last year. Even with the addition of our boy Jason Spezza. Losing Nazem Kadri, despite... Well, I guess, to be fair, last year, Nazem Kadri last, lost them Nazem Kadri going to be they're going to miss that just having that extra nice center depth they're going to miss that and uh their their third line it their fourth line is uh, probably one of the worst in the league i don't think depth is going to sink a team in a five game series but i think this is a team that maybe wins the play in but probably loses to a better armed opponent going forward the only thing that I thought of when I was picking the Blue Jackets is that as much as it would be hilarious to see the Leafs get knocked off by the Blue Jackets, by that happening, the Leafs get a much better draft pick. They don't have it this year. Oh, thank God. <sighs> they trade to Carolina to get rid of uh, Marlowe. Yeah, that's right. You're not so fucking smart now, are you, Dubas? Yeah, that's the kind of the hard thing uh, with. Uh, oh, you know what? At that point, I don't even just... care if the Leafs get knocked off now. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, as much as I love the, I really do like the Blue Jackets. I'm not. I'm not really sure that they'll win a series. But then again, we said that last year. Yep. So you're saying you're going to pick Toronto over Columbus, Tim? Yeah, probably. So, Tim, I guess that wraps up our prediction. Although, it, good. it will be... Actually, you know what? Toronto has Cody Cece. They're fucked. That's true. And the Cubby Cap Crunch is going to be really fun. Oh, I know. It's going to be amazing. So, Tim, do you have any comments you want to make before we head off into the close for another evening? Not really, no. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M9 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, G-R-8-W-A-T-E Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to give your predictions for the 2020 NHL playoffs play-in round, shoot us an email, thirdlikeplugsensecast at gmail.com. Until next time, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go, Sense, guys. <laughs>